0: That's announcement done. Ticket off. Okay, Uh, welcome everyone and welcome those who are visiting maybe first or second time. The reason why I have to say or second time is that I know there were a lot of visitors last week and I wasn't here, so I don't know who are those who were here last week. And what I was encouraged by, as we're thinking about it, there was obviously there's going to be some changes in the, the leadership of the church, but as I was looking over at the music team, I was thinking I've been here almost five years of the five people on the music team, only two of those were here when I first started. Uh, the church is continuing to grow. We're seeing uh, people come into the Eastgate family, and that's a wonderful thing. But I'm here to uh, preach the word this morning from Second uh, Timothy chapter four, verses one to eight. And we're not here depending on my, my wisdom or my notes. Uh, we want to hear from God in His words. So we're going to call upon Him in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can know you. We thank you that you are almighty. You are perfect in all that you are. And yet you considered us, even when we turned our back upon you and decided we wanted to live our own way. We thank you that you provided the way that we can be saved through Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. We thank you that one day he will return and make everything right. And we thank you that you have given us your word that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. We pray that your word might have its work in us, all of us, by your spirit this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just in case you think, oh, I've read the first couple of verses, does this mean that Stephen's thinking he's going to die in the next couple of days? No, that's not the angle I'm going upon, but Paul has written these words knowing that his death is a very near reality. And I think if you were aware that your days were numbered, you'd probably think through quite seriously, what things do I need to say Probably the thing that's not going to go through your mind is, I don't know how much longer I've got, I better tell everyone I know that the milk in the fridge hasn't got a very long expiry and can you sort that out should I die? No, you think about what is most important to communicate. And 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote that we have in the Bible and we see there in verse 6 he's anticipating his end is very soon whether that be days whether it be weeks, it is very soon. Now Paul has been discipling Timothy, who's been appointed there as a leader of the church in Ephesus. And what we see in this final chapter of this final letter that Paul wrote is Paul communicating last words to Timothy what he thinks are of ultimate importance to sustain him in ministry. And on this day when we're commissioning two new elders in Alon and Matt, and we're also preparing in the near future to send Samuel out to full-time ministry down in Victoria. It seemed a good passage amongst other, many good passages to look at this morning. But before you switch off and think, whew, this one's not for me. As we look at these things, they're actually things that God desires from all of his children. Peter refers to the, the believers in Christ as a royal priesthood. So what are these important last words that Paul shares with Timothy? We're going to look at the commands of verses 1, 2, and 5. And in case you're keeping track of the time, 90% of the sermon is going to be in that bit. So if you're wondering are still on the first point, it's, that's how it will be. The culture, verses 3 and 4, and the crown, verses 5 through to 8. So firstly, the command of verses 1, 2, and 5. And it's important that we note from the beginning, Paul is not giving some casual advice to Timothy. Paul is not just giving his personal preferences or personal convictions for Timothy to decide, yeah, take it or leave it. What Paul is writing to Timothy is a charge. It is a command. It's actually embracing a legal term that meant to bear witness with eagerness. And this eager and important appeal which Paul is making towards Timothy, the witnesses he calls upon, you see, in verse 1, says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So these are my witnesses. God and Jesus Christ, and in case you've forgotten who he is, he's the one who will judge the living and the dead who is also incidentally the head of the church for whom Timothy has care over. He says, they are the witnesses. This isn't just even what Paul thinks is most important. This captures the very heart of God and Christ, who is the head of the church, what they would like to pass on to Timothy. And if the centrality of that message that Paul passes on to Timothy could be summed up in those three words at the beginning of chapter 2. Preach. The word. The rest of what we're looking at this morning really is just an expansion of that phrase preach the word. We expand on the how, the when, and the why. And given that we're going to spend so much time looking at what is this preaching the word, we probably should define the terms. Because when you hear preach the word the way we would commonly use it, you might think of a sermon. And it would certainly include a sermon, but it is not exclusively restricted to a sermon being taught. The word translated as preachers means to, to proclaim or to communicate or to make known. So that would include a sermon. It could also include a casual conversation over coffee where you are, you are making known the very word of God. So Paul says, proclaim the word. That's very east gate of him. Our mission statement is to know, know the word, live the word, proclaim the word for the glory of the name. And this proclaiming is not just the role of church leaders. It's for all Christians. We see in the book of Acts, after the persecution of Stephen, and the persecution comes upon the church, and they leave, and it says, and they all scattered, Except for the apostles, the everyday Christians scattered and went about preaching the word. It's the natural thing God's children are to do. But how should we understand the word that Paul is referring to Timothy? At the time that he spoke and wrote these things to Timothy, the the New Testament, as we understand it, was not compiled and completed in that sense. But I think it's pretty clear that Timothy would have naturally understood what Paul spoke of as being the Old Testament scriptures, which were recognised as being scriptures, but also the whole body of doctrine and beliefs that Paul had instructed and passed on to Timothy. The very same things that in chapter 1 verse 14 is referred to as the deposit that was entrusted to him. The same thing that here in our chapter 4 in verse 3 is the sound teaching or is the truth in verse 4 or the faith in verse 7. But certainly now from our vantage point historically where the scriptures are complete, we can say the word, the embodiment of all that God has made known is the Bible. The 66 books of the Old and New Testament we are to proclaim. In other words, the primary task of ministry is to make known to others what God has made known. When Paul speaks about his ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he speaks of it in this way. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He says, "That's, that's us in a nutshell. We are servants of Christ and Stewards, that is, caretakers, ones who look after the mysteries of God, the word of God. We are called to serve Christ and look after, be good stewards of his word. If you think to Jesus' parable of the talents, the person who was entrusted with something by their master and who did nothing with it was the one who was rebuked. We are not entrusted with the word of God for it to sit still and do nothing. Good stewardship of God's word is to faithfully and regularly proclaim it. This is for Matt, Alon, Samuel, myself and all of our responsibility. And the reason why it's of utmost importance comes from the previous chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 3, reading from verses 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it, and how from childhood you were acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every Good work. So, no wonder he says, your ministry is about proclaiming the word of God because that word given to you is the means given by God to lead people to knowledge of salvation and to maturity that they might be complete and equipped for every good work. So, if you have anything by way of a heart to see people come to faith and maturity in faith, you cannot neglect the God given means to achieve that end, which is his word. There are lots of things in ministry that are negotiable. You can have all different types of musical styles, all that type of thing. Preaching the word of God is not a negotiable. Now sometimes we're quick to jump over to the next bit about preaching in and season and out of season and it's important and we will look at it. But there's a couple of important words that we often skip over that come just before that before he says in season and our season he says be ready if you've got an NIV you'll say be prepared or if you've got a King James it will say be instant because the word that is communicated there has not just a case of just being ready and prepared but a sense of urgency you are ready at hand because the task is important it's so urgent that this word that leads people to salvation and leads people to maturity, you're always eager, ready and on hand to proclaim his word. Now I love what Puritan writer Richard Baxter has to say of this urgency from his book, The Reformed Pastor. I've slightly amended the languages to make it read a bit easier for our day. He says, Let the people see that you are in good earnest. You cannot break men's hearts by joking with them or telling them smooth tale or by delivering a well-crafted speech. People will not cast away their dearest pleasures on a drowsy request of one that seems not to mean as he speaks or care much whether his request be granted. We proclaim God's word because it is God's given means to lead people to salvation to maturity, we need to proclaim it with a sense of urgency. And because it is urgent, it is right that it be done in season and out of season. What do you mean in season and out of season? Well, by way of an illustration, imagine you go down to Bunno's and you buy a packet of seeds for a plant you're going to get, you flip it over to the back and there's a little thing there it's got a, a map of Australia It tells you which parts of Australia and what colours and whatever else, and it tells you what season to plant that seed for it to do what that seed's supposed to do. What that guide is supposed to tell you is that if you plant it at that time, the conditions are right for that seed to flourish to do everything that it's supposed to do. Now, I know some of you have probably planted it outside of that time, you have rebels and you've had success, and you're like, ah, stick it to the man. Or you planted it, it didn't happen, but when that season that was supposed to be on the back of the form did come around, the thing suddenly sprung up. But when it comes to the right conditions for God's word, what are the right conditions for God's word to go forth and do what it was designed to do? Well, the right conditions are for God to work through his word. He can do that in any time, in any place, in any circumstances. So Paul says, preach it in season and out of season. Whether it's popular, whether it's unpopular. Whether it seems to be bearing fruit or whether it doesn't seem to be bearing fruit. Whether people like it or whether they don't. Preach the word. If people are not responding to the preached word, that does not mean you stop or try something else and say maybe there's a plan B that God's got. You keep preaching the word because you know it is God's word, because you know that it's breathed out by God to lead people to salvation and to maturity and that he will work through it in all times. So that answers the winner we preach the word all times. All times. Now a little bit of the how with a bit of why thrown in. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So there's three functions there. There's the reprove, rebuke and exhort in two methods, complete patience and complete teaching. Now you're probably not too surprised about these three functions to reprove, rebuke and exhort because they're almost exempting identical to what we read in chapter 3 when it says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproving, for training in righteousness. To reprove means to correct, to show something wrong, to show by exposing the truth to bring to shame that which is not true. To rebuke means to evaluate and bring a charge against either a person or a teaching or a a belief. Or to exhort or encourage, as it's translated in some translations, means to admonish or encourage people towards right behaviour. Or you could say is very much like training in righteousness as described in chapter 3. Now unfortunately, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've probably learnt by now that there are some he like the reprove, rebuking and correcting that maybe aren't so good on the patience and teaching. I know I've certainly encountered some people who love to reprove, who love to rebuke with a very slim or absence entirely of patience. But Paul encourages Timothy to do these with all or complete patience. Complete patience with the people that you're dealing with. Knowing that we ourselves do not immediately change the time that we read something in the scriptures that that confronts us. Recognising it as God who does the works, he who waters, he who plants is nothing but God who gives the growth. We We wait patiently for God to do his work. And that complete applies both to the patients and to the teaching. Parents and teachers will know the thing. You don't just say, don't do this, don't do that. You, you teach them towards what is the right thing to do and why. Likewise, when we correct somebody with all patience, there should also be teaching. Because there's always going to be two reasons why people's lives are not consistent with the gospel. It's either that they know the truth and they're actively in rebellion against it, or they haven't known the truth because they haven't been taught it and they need to be taught. Hence the reason for a complete teaching with complete patience, that you might teach them what is right and lead them in the right way. We want to be men and women of the word of God who come to God's word not just as a, as a text box to learn stuff about And We talked about that a few weeks ago. But as the people who come to encounter the living God through his word, to be changed by it, to, to be excited about it, to want to share it with others, to proclaim the word with all urgency, at all times, with all patience and all teaching. Now, as we're looking at commands, first we'll jump down to the next set of commands, verse 5, we'll come back to verses 3 and 4. Paul then again turns to Timothy and says, As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfil your ministry. Preaching the word in this world, both now and in the time of Timothy, sometimes will be hard. It won't often be well-received. Paul knew this to be true from his 30 or so years of faithful ministry. He was faithful to teaching the word, but it wasn't always kindly and well received. So his advice to his disciples is be watchful. Be sober minded. Watch yourself that you don't get discouraged by the responses of people. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch that you don't go down the path of the easy things, saying the things that people want to hear. Yes, there'll be times when you experience suffering. People won't like you because they don't like some of the things that God's word says. I know I've preached many sermons on difficult topics and I've come to the pulpit with a heavy heart knowing that I'm going to say something that's going to upset somebody that I love in a congregation. And I hope in those contexts I've been patient, gentle and respectful as we deal through those things. And Paul calls him, do the work of an evangelist, which is a command which applies to all of us. It's interesting to know that the only person specifically called an evangelist in the entirety of the scriptures is Philip, who wasn't an apostle, but he's called an evangelist. But all of us are called to do the work of evangelism. We're all called to share of the good news. And finally, as Paul has been very clear to Timothy about what his ministry is, he says, that ministry that I've been teaching you about for years on end, fulfill that ministry. Stay on course. Guard what thing that you've been entrusted with. Serve God and others faithfully because, Timothy and all of us, you will be tempted to do otherwise. So there you go, I did say the command was the big section. Number two, the culture, verses three and four. So we've looked at the when in every season, in and out, how, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. We've touched a little bit on the why because this reproving, rebuking and exhorting is part of the reasons where the scripture is profitable for that we see in chapter three. But there's also an environmental or cultural reason why we must preach the word. Verses 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, there's a temptation when you read that to think Paul was speaking about a time miles in advance from his own day. That was true in Ephesus in the first century where Timothy was. Ephesus was full of false teachers. That has played the entirety of Christian history. There are people who twist the word of God and tell people just the things they want to hear and leave out the things they don't want to hear. Sure, you could look around and say, well, that looks like what we see around us today. We see that happen quite a bit. But it's been the experience of the church right from day one. The word of God we're seeing is profitable for rebuking, for correcting and exhorting and training in righteousness. Which means that it confronts the very things that we love. It confronts our worldviews, it confronts the way in which we live and be honest, sometimes we just don't like it. We like being told we can do all the things that we like to enjoy to do. We don't like someone saying that's not the way you were called or designed to live. So when someone comes along and they preach all of the benefits of the gospel but say nothing of the cost it will never challenge you to change in any way even though it's the heart of God that you be changed to be more and more into the image of his son. You will gather lots of people around you. It's not hard to do it. You just avoid all the controversial topics. You just do all the the positive stuff. People will flock around that. There's no doubt the Bible teaches things that are hard. Even culturally offensive, you could say. And when we talk about engaging the Bible and engaging culture, you really have only two options. Either you please people and you dishonour God and his word, or you honour God even at the risk of displeasing people. Now, remember, that's in the context of doing it with all patience and teaching, with gentleness and respect. Culture is not the lens by which we interpret the Bible. We don't say, well, culture shifted this way, therefore we'll make that change the meaning of the Bible. The thing which interprets the other will be the thing that you deem to have most authority and power. And so if you say that culture interprets the Bible, you say culture is the highest authority, God and his words down here. Rather, the way it should be done is, God and his word is the lens through which you interpret the culture in which we live. Culture is not even consistent. It changes all the time. Anyone who's lived long enough will realise there are things that were considered abhorrent in you when you were younger, that are now considered great and to be celebrated. There's nothing consistent about it. God never changes. God is the one who created things, who established what is good and what is bad from the beginning. And when the creator of all things, who is good in everything he does, when he speaks, you listen. You never call good what God has called evil. And you never call evil what God has called good. We're not here for a popularity contest. We're here to honour God and bring glory to God we don't change God's word we don't change the meaning of it what did Paul say we are stewards of Jesus Christ So, servants of Jesus Christ and stewards of his word 1 Corinthians 4 would have been a very tempting passage to have gone to this morning because in that chapter he says we're servants of Christ we're stewards of his word it's Important above all things that God's ministers be faithful and they do not go beyond that which is written. Because let's fake it. People like things that are new and novel. It's exciting to, to hear something you think, Oh, no one's ever no one's ever taught on this before. Or someone says, oh, I've got a new teaching that no one's picked up on. I'm the first one to pick up on it. You better listen. While it's possible, with 2,000 years of great minds studying the scriptures, to think that you've discovered something they haven't before, I would tread extremely carefully and say, most likely you're not in the right. Ministry is not about being original, it's not about pioneering new ideas. It's about faithfully proclaiming what God has already made known. And why would you need to add to it? The Scripture's own confession about itself is: it gives you everything to make you complete and equipped for every good work. Or Second Peter one three, you've been given everything for life and godliness. What else do you need? Alon, Matt, Samuel, myself, all of us, we don't want to lead God's children astray. But beyond that, as shepherds, we are to protect the people we love from others who'd want to lead them astray as well. Our culture is not going to develop a Christian worldview anytime soon. But we can change culture by changing the individuals who live within that culture, by proclaiming the word into a lost world, to preach the word urgently and faithfully, in season and out of season, as given by example in Paul's own life, as we look at verses 5 to 8, the crown. Paul's not calling Timothy to do something that he hasn't done himself. Paul has invested 30-odd years into faithful gospel proclamation enduring incredible suffering that you read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Yet as he advises his young disciple, he doesn't say, man, I've copped a flog and it's not worth it. No. He says, continue in it. Preach the word. He knows he's soon about to die for that very reason, maybe days, maybe weeks, without even a slightest hint of regret. He says, He has fought the good fight. He has run the race. He encourages Timothy to do the same as Paul himself looks forward to receiving the crown of righteousness which will not only be for him but all who have loved the appearing of Christ. So what should I say in conclusion? Well, One thing is pretty plain and simple. We preach the word urgently at all times with all patience with all teaching it's god's word every page of it every word of it it's profitable for teaching reproof correction training in righteousness it is the means that god has given us that we might be complete equipped for every good work and if it is anywhere in your heart to see people to come to faith to grow in maturity do not neglect the means which God has given for that very purpose because when you do you dishonour God and you rob people from the means that God has given for their maturity we preach in and out of season which is a reminder that there are times that your ministry will not feel successful it may not appear Fruitful. And because the Bible confronts our hearts, we won't always be popular in everything that we say. But out of love for God and for people, and knowing that it's the means He has given for their salvation and their maturity, we preach the Word. There will always be people who are led astray by popular teachers who will say the things they want to hear. I remember the words and every teacher remembers the words of James 3, one, who says not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with the greatest strictness. Brothers and sisters we should love our neighbour one, one another in such a way that we proclaim the word with all urgency at all times. But we also need to watch our own life and doctrine closely that we not be tempted to be led astray either to teach that which is just palatable and well received but rather we are to protect others and ourselves from being led astray. Preach the word in season and now to others and to yourself because sometimes that false teacher that wants to tell you everything that your heart desires to hear will be your own flesh saying it to yourself. And in those times, preach the word to yourself what God has said to be true. Stay the path, stay the course. Fight the good fights, complete the course, fulfill your ministry. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not leave us to our own devices. You have given us your word. You have placed your Holy Spirit within us. Lord, we thank you that one of the roles of the Spirit is to take your word and to make it clearly known to us and help us to live in accordance with the truth that you expose us. We thank you that your Spirit works within us to do that, that work of, of correcting and rebuking us and confronting the very desires of our heart. May it be the joy of our heart to be transformed to be challenged because these are all means by which you have given to lead us to maturity that we might be complete and equipped for every good work may we embrace it for ourselves may we embrace it for all of those who are around us for the sake of your son Jesus Christ in whose name we pray amen